We believe running is freedom and empowerment. We believe running solves problems and makes people happy. We even believe that if more people run, the world will be a better place. We believe in running because it is our passion. This is the Big Peach Running Company Run ATL Podcast with your host, Mike Cosentino. And welcome to the Run ATL Podcast from the capital of the South. My name is Mike Cosentino. I am your host for this audio journey. I do it with a good friend of mine, yours as well, D2 Dolomite. Dave Martinez is here with me. Episode number two for 2019, D2. Yes, and uh, it's always good to be here. And we've got a, 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 a great guest, a very interesting story, uh, Christian Griffith, who has accomplished quite a bit. And uh, But, you know, we try to bring these stories of individuals that are inspiring and motivating and just kind of things that will help us and, and our listeners. But Christian has a, a very unique uh, background that I believe deserves a little bit of forewarning to those that are listening because we're going to talk about, he's going to bring up some subjects that are going to be very, I would say, raw and, and maybe uh, not what you would typically expect on the Run ATL podcast. But it's things that have driven him um, to do the work that he's, that he's doing, to reach the accomplishments that he's, that, uh, that he's achieved. And it has to deal with things that, you know, things like sex abuse and drug abuse. And so I want to bring that out as fair warning. If there's kids, you know, anywhere nearby, if you're in the car or something, um, please be warned that we, the topic will be of adult nature um, for, for some of it. That is very cool, D2. I appreciate you doing that. Certainly, we've heard, whether it is figuratively or literally, that we are all running towards something or perhaps away from something. And I just applaud Christian so much to acknowledge what he has used running as a way to get away from. And one thing that I thought was super cool is it's easy for us to focus on the accomplishments. And my goodness, does Christian have a litany of those. And at the same time, when you think about the tenets of the Run ATL podcast, empowerment and encouragement, I believe it is the rationale for the pursuit of those accomplishments. I believe it is the backstory that suggests why he has driven himself to success and to the places he's been and where he's come from to be able to say, this is my story. And hopefully it's not just me, but many others who are better for it. It is very, very cool. And also D2, on a lighter note, I will tell you this. We had unfinished business. We took care of it recently. For all of our listeners who have been tracking along, D2 has a marathon before we release this episode. But what we had to do to make good on our conversation with Bart Yasso was get D2 to do his Yasso 800s as a setup, a prediction perhaps as to how he would finish his upcoming marathon. We will share those results right after our featured conversation with Christian Griffith. We'll bring that to you right after this brief message. You've got the right shoe for you, but maybe you're still getting blisters and your feet aren't too happy. The source of your discomfort may be the socks you're wearing. Cotton is rotten. You need socks made from synthetic materials that wick away the moisture that can lead to blisters. Big Peach Running Company carries a variety of styles and brands, including Features, Balega, Swiftwick, and Injinji. Every sock is buy three, get one free. Mix and match brands and styles? It doesn't matter. You'll save 25% when you pick up four pairs of socks. Keep your feet happy and stock up on socks at Big Peach Running Company. 
And welcome back to the Run ATL podcast. D2, we have done it again with our guest roster today. The one, the only Christian Griffith joins us from Florida. Christian, hello to you, sir. It is awesome to be able to spend this time with you. Oh, hey, Mike. I'm stoked to be here. I'm, the Big Peach has been a big part of my running life when I lived in Atlanta. And Actually, just seeing you along the Georgia Marathon course uh, from time to time, usually passing me like uh, like you weren't even struggling. But uh, it's, yeah, it's, great to, <laughs> well, it's great to talk to you, man. I'm glad to be here. Well, we miss you having as a resident. At the same time, I know that as we talk through your history, it will be evident that you are very much run ATL. And this is a perfect place to have this conversation and you got your start to some degree as a runner when you were in Atlanta. And like many stories that I know we all applaud, it came alongside just knowing you needed to make some changes. Before we get into the Christian Griffith of today, maybe take us back a little bit, set the stage before we tell people as to why I personally am so fascinated with your story and why all of us can learn from what it is that you've not only accomplished, but what you're doing. Yeah, well, you know, I, I hate to start these things off negative, but it, it's unfortunately, it's a big part of who I am. Um, when I was a teenager, I was sexually abused. Um, and that, uh, I was sexually abused by men and women. And that really became the definition of my character as I grew up. Um, it became uh, a, co uh, a coping mechanism of mine, if you will, um, some of the behaviors that I developed because of those experiences. Um, kind of fast forward from that, I uh, gained a lot of weight in my life and I found myself at 250 pounds uh, working in a startup in Atlanta and knew that I needed to start doing something. Uh, I ran my first 5K, like many of us like to say. I still have the photos from it. It's, uh, it's crazy looking. I'm doing everything wrong, right? My head is thrown back. I'm uh, uh, wearing the wrong clothes. I'm wearing the wrong shoes. And, of course, I went out way too fast and ended up walking across the finish line. So everything that you could possibly do, um, I do wrong in your first race. I did. But... You know, what brought me to that first race was, you know, needing to prove to myself and to others that I just wasn't a complete and utter failure. And that's really what brought me to running. Well, and, and brought it brought you to running, it did. And, and I, I want to touch on that painful part of your story and your past. But not first before describing some of the things that, that you've done. For those who do not yet know Christian, you're going to get an opportunity to do so later this month. We'll give you all those details. He has done more than 100 races of marathon distance or more. I personally know from being at races and being at events with Christian, many of those are ultra marathons. He is a TV star in our midst. He's been on multiple networks. Most recently, and this was so cool to track you in this, Christian, the selection, which was a history channel 
activity that was under the special operations experiment. You were the oldest guy to begin that quest to finish. And ladies and gentlemen, only four finishers. And if you are not familiar with the selection, the special operations experiment that was on the History Channel, check it out. He went from being the oldest guy to one of four finishers and what it took for that to become true. Nothing short of amazing. So, Christian, before I leave that accomplishment, give us a sense. That's very recent if we look at your entire time as a runner. That's more recent. Not the most recent accomplishment you have, but a great one to drive a stake into the ground and let everybody know the kind of attitude you bring to everything you do. Yeah, I would, I would, I would have to say that the selection uh, experience, the eight-part series on History Channel, was probably – the hardest thing I had ever done to date um, in, in 2016 when we shot it, 2017, when it actually aired. But, um, you know, as someone who really his mentor in life, the man that I looked up to was my grandfather. He, uh, he was part of General Cheneau's Flying Tigers in World War II. Uh, he flew P-51 fighter planes and was just, in my opinion, the biggest badass on the planet. And... I really admired him and, of course, wanted to follow in his footsteps. When I was younger, I actually wanted to enter the military. I'd done really well. Once I graduated from college, I did really well in the ASVAB, could have gone right in as an officer, and was just about to do it um, with the Coast Guard in Hawaii. My grandfather had a come-to-Jesus moment with me. He sat me down and he said, I don't think you're military material. He said, you're more of a creative. I think you're going to do better in the business world, number one. And number two, war stinks. And I don't want to see you go through something like that. And, you know, I look back on that sometimes, and I look back on that with a little bit of reservation or maybe some frustration that I was held back. Um, but he was also right. You know, I've done well in business, and I have done well as a creative. But this, this opportunity on the show gave me a chance to at least get some sort of understanding of what he might have gone through and what it took, the mindset that it took, the emotional stability, the mental stability, the physical necessity that uh, that, that was going to be imperative for getting through this challenge. And it was. It was brutal. It was 16 days of a complete, solid beatdown, whether that's PT, whether that's learning um, you know, we were jumping out of helicopters. We were swimming in the ocean fully clothed. We had to do a thousand sit-ups in the sand, being blasted by um, fire hoses. We were put in boxes for 35, 45 minutes at a time. Just very, very, very dramatic experience that really had a very profound effect on me. You know, we, we say that marathoning and ultramarathoning and different running events that we do help us to know more about ourselves, help, help us to teach help to teach us our limits and what we can get through. And this was that on steroids. Well, and you use the phrase beatdown, Christian. And before I go to what might be another beatdown, one that many people might not know about and certainly very, very few have ever experienced, I will mention this. I love the fact that your presentation when you're here in Atlanta, back home, as we like to say about you, <laughs> driven to success. That is the title of Christian's presentation. He'll be in Atlanta January 24th. Our friend Sandy Geisel, many of you may remember her 
from an episode that we referenced what she does so well last year. The presentation will be at the Keller Williams Realty Office in Sandy Springs. It's going to be from 7 to 10 p.m. Again, that's on January 24th. Make your plans. Mark your calendars to see Christian and Driven to Success. But back to the beatdown, Christian, let's talk about an amoeba. Not necessarily an ultra marathon, not necessarily being overweight with the acknowledgement that you need to shed a few LBs in order to get in shape and get across the finish line. Not too many of us can comment on having a parasite or some kind of flesh-eating, man-eating monster inside of us take us to the edge of our existence and then fight our way back. But you, my friend, are one who can. Give us the synopsis of that episode, that amazing episode and one that, quite frankly, I don't know how any of us could relate to. You know, that came in such a weird part of my my life and my running career. I had finally gotten to a place in life. I'm sorry. I had finally gotten to a place in life uh, and in my running where I was doing really well. I um, I remember doing pretty well at the uh, at George Marathon. I did really well at the um, 11 and a half mile that they have up there in North Georgia. The uh, what is that that called? <laughs> Um, uh, but anyway, I ended up going to the Mercedes marathon and qualifying for Boston, um, really doing well, really excited. I went to Nicaragua to run uh, a race that I run every year and called the Fuego Iagua 100 K it's on the Island of Ometepe in, um, Nicaragua. And I contracted an amoeba called Entamoeba uh, histolytica, which stands for tissue-eating amoeba. It had attached to my liver and was trying to liquefy my liver. Unfortunately, when I came home, uh, no one, they don't really see that here in the States, and no one could figure out what was wrong with me. And my doctor, Dr. Blass, a well-known infectious disease doctor at Emory, uh, was baffled. And I'll never forget the day that he pulled up a chair, sat next to me, I'd been experiencing about two and a half weeks of nonstop fevers, which I'd be shivering one moment, shivering to death, and then the next moment, throwing off clothes and just sweating everywhere. And it was just going through this interval of sweat and heat and fever and interval sweat. And I, I, you know, I thought I was going to die. And quite honestly, a lot of people thought I was going to die. And I'll never forget the doctor setting up that chair and saying to me, you know, Christian, there's a reason we call it practicing medicine. We don't know everything. And I don't know what's wrong with you. And what that did to me, when the doctors can't figure out what's wrong with you, that's a really scary feeling, right? Because you always believe that, oh, I just, I just got to go to the hospital. I'll get this fixed. And when you think that you can't get fixed. That's just standing at death's door is a very humbling moment in life. And I signed away my life to, um, well, let me back up. So sort of the miracle moment was there was a, a radiologist who called in sick and another radiologist came in to take her place. And she happened to be from South America. She looked at my results from yet another MRI, and she said, I think I've seen this before. I think this is entamoeba histolytica. 
and told that to my infectious disease doctor. He took it actually to the CDC. CDC came back and said, we've seen a handful of cases like this. Most of them don't turn out very well, but the only way to deal with it is an arthroscopic surgery. So what that meant was they were going to stick a tube in my chest, weave it down through my body to my liver, to the abscess on my liver, poke it in the abscess without bursting the abscess. If the abscess would burst, it would leak all of the poison into my body. They could never open me up in time and I would die. So they had to poke the abscess, drain it, and then hopefully these horse pill antibiotics that I was taking would actually start to actually do something. So I had to sign my life away. I literally had to sign pages or papers that would, you know, take all liability away from the hospital, the doctors, you know, with the acknowledgement that after anesthesia, I, I may not wake up. I don't know how to express that in words, what that feels like. It was hard. It was really hard. But I did it. And I woke up. And I knew that, you know, I'm not, I'm not a religious guy, but it's hard not to be in those moments. And I realized or thought at that moment that there's a reason I'm still here. There's obviously something else I need to do. But I, you know, I didn't know what that was. It was such a dramatic moment was early in my own acknowledgement of my past and my need for recovery. I didn't even know who I really was, but I knew that that experience was the springboard for me to start changing my life and to start doing some things very different. Well, and, and, and differently you have, even though there is this nucleus of your commitment to fitness and to helping others, but different in that, and Christian, obviously you and I have known of each other for quite some time. And at the same time, part of your story that you already referenced, I was unaware of prior to being sent the invitation for Driven for Success. And then as I dove deeper and deeper into your story, I was like, we just need to unpack this. The tenets of the Run ATL podcast to inform, to inspire, and then also, and where I believe you are such a beacon of light, to empower and to encourage. And so when we come back from that surgery and we think, my goodness, it's not just how hard we've fallen and all the things that you've done, the weight that you've lost, the miles that you've covered, the races that you've accomplished, the finish line, now all of a sudden it's about how high you bounce back and now with purpose. And you related to us earlier the sexual abuse that you were subject to from the earliest of years when you were a youth. And now that's part of your story and part of why you do what you do. My first question as it relates to that, when you think about the question, well, why do you run? And I know D2 and I get this, and I'm sure many of our listeners do as well, because compared to other family members, compared to others in the office place, compared to others in the neighborhood, someone training for their first 5K or doing their next marathon gets that question. Why do you run? Because 
Some others just won't understand it. They do not get it. But you, my goodness, Christian, I want to hear the answer now, knowing your past, knowing what you've had to survive in order to say, I can go for a run this afternoon. Why do you run? You know, I, I get that question a lot, and it's evolved over time. I think that a lot of us come to it very simply. You know, it's, you know, we, we're, we're newbies to fitness or newbies to running, and we know we need a change, and we've heard running works, and so we start doing it, right? Very simply, there's nothing, nothing really profound or cool about, uh, about that. But I think what I learned over time with running is that, number one, I learned that it was a way of applying suffering to my life. And I needed, I grew to need more and more suffering. I needed to punish myself. And then I needed to prove to myself that I could endure that punishment and continue on. You know, I wish it was something more pleasant, something more frilly and fluffy and nice, but it's not. It's, you know, I'm obsessive. And when I was able to finish a 5K, I moved to the 10K. When I could finish the 10K, the half. When I could finish the half, the Mary. Mary to ultra, right? It, the, the, the growth was so fast. And by the time it's, what, 2000, I started running really in 2006, did my first ultra in 2007. By 2009, I'm applying for Western States and probably running an ultra a weekend. It was a way to escape. It was a way to punish myself. It was a way to be around. You know what? The sort of I feel like the dirty secret of long distance running and especially ultra running is that there's a lot of addicts. Whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs, whether it's sex, whether it's running away from a bad relationship, there's a lot of reasons that people run that have absolutely positively nothing to do with athletic growth. It has to do with either coping mechanisms or trying to figure things out for themselves. And that that's why I was running then. It's a big part of why I run now. But I've also now taken a different approach to my running, and I'm kind of going old school. Uh, always been a huge fan of, of Steve, Steve Prefontaine. And I've uh, been kind of tearing some books out of that history. And that's, uh, that's the direction that I'm taking my running today. Well, I'm going to quickly comment on that direction. And then I'm going to pick at some of your answer because this is so good. And I believe, if not for you, possesses the possibility of being very healing. And I choose that word intentionally for others who are wondering right now, why do they run? And it spurred this question in their mind, why do I run? And to some degree, they want to go there. And then maybe at another point, they don't want to go any further. But for those who cannot wait for the show notes, run to the number two, heal.hfc.org, run to heal.hfc.org. And you'll find more of why I believe Christian is running, continues to run, and has done many of the things he's done. It was certainly contained in that answer. Without going too much further, Christian, I have a very 
specific question. Do you believe perhaps some of that running, some of that distance, some of that accomplishment was intending, and you use the word suffer, to find something that you could believe was actually worse suffering than the sexual abuse that you endured as a child? Yes, but I don't think that I cognitively knew that at the time. I think that that my subconscious was taking me there in that direction. I also think that while I wanted to give off a perception of toughness and strength and stability and having everything together, in reality, I was a fucking mess. And I'm sorry to cuss, but I was a mess. And I wanted to prove to myself that I could get through things that I was that because even though I was giving off this perception of strength, I felt very weak. It's, it's really interesting to me, especially with ultra marathons or a shorter distance where you're pushing the pace really hard. It's interesting to me how much we say we want to suffer, but if we really don't have a lot of emotional and mental strength, how easily we can pull ourselves out of that suffering. And as time went on with my, let's call it ultra career, my long distance career, I kept fighting to be stronger internally, to not DNF, to not walk away from pain, to not, you know, to be covered in blisters, but to still continue because the goal was to get to the finish. And everything that I would experience between the starting line and the finish line was all going to be healing and growth for me if I could just keep going. Well, and, and keep going, obviously you've done. And now let's talk about the healing and the growing. Are you healed? No. Okay. So I anticipate that to be the answer. You've been very forward in your acknowledgement that you are in therapy. You are receiving treatment currently for your past and just kind of getting to know yourself better. I've heard you comment that you believe that will be a lifetime of treatment in all likelihood. Let's marry that acknowledgement and your confidence in that statement and thinking about healing and growth. What role does therapy and treatment play? And for those who have something, maybe it's the exact same thing that you are recovering from and having to experience. We're going to put some statistics in here very shortly, but before we put these just eye-opening statistics out there, how do you relate the therapy and treatment to the healing and growth you just mentioned? I will be in therapy for the rest of my life because I am my worst enemy. And when I am not actively working on myself, I resort back to negative behaviors, whether that's fidelity issues, whether that's drugs, whether that's self-satisfaction, you name it. I've been there. I've done it. It sucks. And I don't want to be that person anymore. So I have to be conscious of my demons and I have to be actively working on them. When I'm not, and this happens to all of us, I think, that embark on therapy or 
personal wellness or trying to just be better. Uh, we get little fleeting moments of goodness in our life or periods where we're doing well or where we are seemingly in public looking like we're doing really well. So we stop taking our medicine because we think we're healed. And I think we all know examples and have experience and either ourselves or no other people that know that that tends to end up badly. So I have to take, I have to do therapy for the rest of my life for the same reason that I will run for the rest of my life, for the same reason I will do push-ups and pull-ups and move iron and surf and skate and ride bikes. It's because it makes me better. And it's so frustrating for me that I can go, you know, you had commented on my, my Coach Christian jacket. It's actually for a CrossFit gym that I, I work with in my in my business. And, you know, I can go to the CrossFit gym and I can do some crazy gnarly workout, right? There's a workout called Murph that everybody does on Memorial Day. And it's just, it's called a hero wad. And it's just incredibly, incredibly challenging. 100 pull-ups, 300 squats, just crazy. And I can do that workout. And be laying on the ground, passed out. People will come up to you. Oh, beast, man! You killed that. That's so awesome. You're, 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 you, you, are, you're a, you're a beast. You're a maniac. And then I can tell those same people, yeah, hey, thanks. Uh, I'm about to head out. I'm heading to therapy to work on my mental health. And then all of a sudden, where are the high fives? And all of a sudden, you get cast this like stink eye almost or or kind of this inquisitive look from people when you tell them you're in therapy or that you need to go get treatment or you need to go to a meeting right i have to go to a sex addict meeting try telling that to somebody sometime right they did there no high fives you're not cool anymore and i i just i have i want to change that because i believe that our mental health is every bit as important as our physical health if we want to be a complete and healthy individual. And so I will be in therapy for the rest of my life. I will trumpet the benefits of therapy. And I will continue to try to be better. Well, that is awesome. And for those of you who right now are thinking, gosh, is that me? Or you know that it is, or you know someone who you're certain that it is. I hope you will go back and listen to that again. This is an individual who we already mentioned, one of very few finishers in the special operations experiment on the History Channel. He is an American ninja warrior, 100 plus races around the world, distances that you can imagine and cannot imagine. And yet there he is indicating for himself and I believe pleading for all of us to be mindful of making sure we take care of ourselves mentally, psychologically, just as much as we do physically. And for those who have something, Christian used the term demon, but perhaps in an addiction, it's an, an unaddressed concern. What is that therapy that you should be seeking or quite frankly should still be on? And I'm gonna allow you to wrestle with that question as Christian, I know you know that every minute, every eight minutes in this country, a child is sexually abused. And similar to your situation, more than three quarters of those cases 
are at the hands of people they know, supposed loved ones, oftentimes a parent. And it's just sickening and disheartening to hear a statistic like that, to know that it's true. Over the course of the last 12 months or so, there has been so much more visibility to this. Much of it, quite frankly, has been more on the female side of things with the Me Too movement and some rightfully well-followed cases that have put this in the light. You're on that side where you're a male, you're willing to talk about this, even though, to your point, it may reduce the cool factor temporarily with whomever it is you might be working out in. What is the culture today for a sexual abuse? And I know you do not like, do not use, do not subscribe to the term victim. But for the person who just equates this to a victimhood, what is the culture like right now for someone in your shoes? It's a big, big room. It's very, very silent. The once I started talking about my sexual abuse, because here's the thing, when you've been sexually abused as a child, uh, and I'm going to speak from the male perspective, it's the only one I know <laughs> for uh, from experience. But when you've been sexually abused as, as, a, as a kid, and especially if it happened by other men, there's a tremendous amount of mental torment that goes with that. In my case, it was around 1983, 1984, the height of the AIDS scare. The last thing you ever, you know, and I was just like every other 14-year-old boy. I stood around in my group of friends and said, yeah, you know, and, you know, you have no PC at that in that point in your life. And, you know, yeah, some gay dude ever came up to me and tried to do something, I'd kick him in the teeth, right? You've got all this bravado and you're cool. And when it happened to me, man, I froze. Where was the bravado then? I had nothing. I froze like a scared cat. And I let that man do everything he wanted to do. And even worse, had an orgasm. So the experiences of that, he tapped me on the shoulder. He walked out of the, the steam room. His life was whatever his life was going to be. My life was changed forever. And I spent the rest of my life being a hyper heterosexual so that no one would ever question or think that I ever had a homosexual experience. I was scared to death of that. When I finally started talking about my abuse in October 2015, I was inspired to talk about it by February of 2016. I started talking about it. I wrote my first article called Damn Right I Was Sexually Abused. And when I did that, I saved every message. When I launched, I was living in Nicaragua at the time and felt like I was never coming back to the United States and it felt very safe to do that. I didn't care what people thought. But when I did that and I posted that article on Facebook, I got 157 messages within 24 hours of different Males and females, but mostly males, would reach out of various flavors of their admission. Some saying, Christian, I can't believe you're doing this. This is awesome. 
similar things have happened to me. I'm not ready to talk about it, but I just want you to know you're not alone. All the way to me being the catalyst for others to talk about their experiences in detail and everything in between. And that aha moment, February 27, 2016, I'll never forget it, showed me that there was an army of us out there. But again, what do we do? When this things happen, when these things happen to us, we isolate. We crawl inside ourselves. And we believe that our situation is just different. It's weirder. It's crazier. It's gnarlier. It's more disgusting than anything anyone else has been through. That I can't ever let anyone know my secret. And there's a million of us out there in this isolated state. And when I realized that, and I realized that there was an army of us out there, I don't know what it is about my personality. I don't know if I was born to do this. I don't know. I don't know anything. All I know is at that moment, I knew I had to do something. I knew I was no longer afraid. And that I wanted to help other people be no longer afraid. Well, you did then come back to the United States. And last year, you did more than just come back to the United States. You crossed the United States with this humility and obviously this very transparent heart and mindset. But you didn't just cross in a way that most people would say, my goodness, was he in the passenger seat? Did he take a few connecting flights? You did it on foot. That's right. For those of you who have not contemplated this previously, 3,142 miles. Christian started in March in New York, and he finished in August in California. But it wasn't just one more notch on the belt. This was the way I see it, Christian, the culmination to date with the platform for the future to do just what you indicated, and that is be what you needed to be for yourself, but then also, and you use the phrase sounding board and maybe even permission slip for so many others who had similar experiences and they didn't know where they were in their own walk as to whether they could talk about it or meet it head on or be open to what would be their life as a result of that being part of their past. But you went for it. And again, and my goodness, I hope all of our listeners go to run to the number run to heal.hfc.org. Not only will you come to appreciate Christian as an individual, even that much more, you'll see more than what we can unpack in this episode on this journey that he took on foot across the country. But let's give it a shot, Christian. We've got some time. Thinking about leaving New York, thinking about the mindset. I oftentimes hear people say, I will stop at nothing. We see professional athletes talking about it this time of year, about winning a playoff game or perhaps going to the Super Bowl. Certainly those of us in the endurance sports world make that claim to our family and friends and maybe even at the starting line. I've never heard anyone sound as convincing as you were before the first of those steps for 3,000 plus miles were taken that you were going to finish. And of course you did. What was in your mind when you did that 5K with some friends and well-wishers in New York, and as you then took off kind of on your own with just a few support members? You know, I didn't know what I didn't know. 
I had no idea what was ahead of me. I had no idea the brutality that I was about to suffer from a weather perspective for the first month and a half. I had no idea what the desert would be like. I had no idea how I was going to get enough. Food. I had no idea what running an ultra marathon every single day was going to do to me mentally, physically, and emotionally. But I knew that I had a mission to accomplish. And I knew that it wasn't about me. When I can make something not about me, I feel like I have a better chance of success. And I knew that I could not fail the people that were counting on me, that were inspired and motivated by what I was getting ready to do. And that only built upon itself every single day that I kept going. Because the way I did it was so unorthodox. You know, I didn't have this massive crew that, you know, was making sure that I was well taken care of. I had a guy I'd never met before driving an RV who had never crewed an athlete before in his life. He was a recently graduated college student. But every day... I had new people running with me who were either inspired by what I was doing, motivated by what I was doing, most of whom had been through similar experiences, whether that was childhood sexual abuse, traditional physical abuse, um, uh, bad relationships, you name it. I've got such a, a, a plethora of dysfunction in my life. There are a lot of people that I can relate to and that can relate to me. And having these conversations with these people and sharing my perspective and my story and hearing their stories and their perspectives and then ending that day or that moment with that someone who is patting me on the back and saying, hey, man, keep going. We believe in you. You have made a huge impact on our lives and we believe in you. I, there was no way that I could let those people down. It was Beyond my own physical pain, my own missing my family at home and my newborn at home, uh, you know, it, it all went over and above that. It went beyond that. And I knew I would finish. I, I did not question whether or not I would finish. And again, it was purely because I was doing it for others. Well, and, and before I give you some rapid fire questions for our entire audience and selfishly for me, thinking about what you did there, the HFC that I've mentioned with Christian's website and where we are imploring our listeners to go stands for Help for Children. It is an organization that Christian's been working with for some time. At this point, almost a half a million dollars that have been raised as a part of Run to Heal, and he is not done you can still donate, and my goodness, would we encourage you to do so as you learn more about this journey, not just across the United States, but this journey, who is Christian Griffith. But a couple of maybe more lighthearted, rapid-fire questions for you, Christian, if you don't mind. Sure. I, uh, I love those. All right. Favorite state that you crossed through and why? <laughs> I get that all the time. And there's each state was unique in its own way. But I, child, you didn't come through Georgia, so at this point you can. 
favorite child because you don't have to leave us out. <laughs> That's right. I I would have to say Nevada. Nevada. Uh, yeah. I had the most profound experiences in the desert. I had never experienced anything like the desert. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Highway 50, the loneliest road in America, but I could go days and nights without seeing other people at all. And I always like to, to, when people ask me about why Nevada, number one, really interesting fact about Nevada you may not know. It is the most mountainous state in the country. Did you know that? How about that? To inform. See, look at that, D2. Right on point for the Run ATL podcast, to inform. <laughs> and one of the things that I really dug about that was it gave me the opportunity. Google Maps is such an incredible application. And it gave me the opportunity to cross those mountain ranges off-road. And I could go back to trail running, which is my true love. I mean, I don't really love to run on the road. So 3,142 miles on the road was a, was, was a suffer fest. But when I had the opportunity of busting out into the mountain ranges and crossing these mountain ranges on the trails and then, you know, rejoining with the road, that was really powerful and invigorating and re-energizing for me. Uh, another reason that, that Nevada stands out more than any state is it's the most raw state that I had been through. Um, you know, I ran through the desert. I ran into Fallon, Nevada, which, if you know, is where um, a famous military base is, where uh, they test a lot of the F-18s, a lot of the military uh, aircraft. They do a lot of the bombing testing out there because it's all just thousands of, or hundreds of miles of desert. Um, and, you know, the desert... I never would have imagined this, but the desert is a really amazing place. And I'd like people to try to follow my narrative here. Every single day in this podcast right now, where you can go to Starbucks, you can go to a restaurant, you can walk outside, Atlanta being a perfect example of this. It is 100% impossible to step away from culture and society and sociology. It's impossible. And our day-to-day -day dealings with people, with ourselves, the decisions we make, the things we think about, the next five minutes in our life is all driven by everything around us. And I never really truly knew and understood that until the desert. But when you're alone in the desert by yourself, no sound, nothing to see around you but desert, no other people, no other influences, nothing is influencing your thoughts, your actions. Nothing is influencing that but your internal self. And that is a extremely powerful and foreign and amazing place to find yourself because you really learn a lot about yourself. You know, I used to really think I was a bad dude. You know, I would look at women on the street and I would have thoughts like any other man. Right. But I allowed that to believe certain things about myself. But when I was out in the desert and I wasn't driven by sociology, I wasn't driven by the things around me. Only what I was thinking about in, in my own heart. I thought about my baby, my new baby at home. 
I thought about my relationship. I thought about my past. I thought about who I was as a warrior and what I'm trying to achieve and fight for. And it was powerful and it was amazing. And it gave me a lot of strength. And I would encourage anyone ever in life, if you can somehow find yourself, you don't have to do what I did, but if you can somehow find yourself for a week in Antarctica or a week in the desert, and I'm not talking about restaurant desert, I'm not talking about Phoenix, Arizona desert. I'm talking about Nevada desert where you're seeing signs of no gas or lodging or anything for 87 miles. Go plop yourself 40 miles down that road and be alone with yourself and it will be amazing. Well, and I know that we cannot relate to that depth of desert. I know I cannot. I can also not relate to, and this is where I'm hoping you'll take us to a break, Christian. The lowest point on that journey across these United States was still probably nowhere close to the lowest point in your own personal journey. And yet all of us could say, my goodness, if you tune into the Run ATL podcast, you can understand what it's like to suffer a little bit on the run, even if we cannot relate to running 3,100 plus miles or 30 plus miles every single day. But we do know that there is that physical suffering. There is that mental anguish that comes with just one step after another, after another, after another. So go back to your lowest point, if you would on that journey from March through August last year. Tell us what it was, and then more importantly, how you came out of that valley and how you relate it to how all of us have to overcome these low points and just keep going. God, there were so, so many low points from my grandfather that I mentioned earlier dying as I ran into Chicago the many times that my fiance brought my baby out to see me on the run and then I had to put them on a plane and send them home and go back out by myself to just run down some road in the middle of nowhere. Um, but the lowest point for me was Ohio. I hate that state. <laughs> I wasn't going to ask which state you liked the least. So there you have it. I didn't even ask. That is bonus material on the Run ATL podcast. Absolutely mince no words, Buckeye fans. Go ahead and tell us why, please, Christian. So, and it was the physical. And it was, you know, the interesting part about a journey like this that you'll hear from probably just about anybody that does it is that eventually your body gets to a point where it waves the white flag. It's like, okay. I'm trying to give you every injury on the planet. You're still moving forward. I give up. This is the new normal. I get it. 30 miles a day is what we're going to do as a body. I get it. Keep going. I'm here with you. Right? And that happened for me somewhere around, I don't know, Colorado, Iowa, maybe. But before I got to that point, I just suffered injury after injury after injury after injury. And I had really, really bad shin splints in Ohio. The weather was terrible. Uh, and there was one day where I could do nothing but walk. 
So it was an entire myriad of horrible experiences all at once. It's freezing cold. The route I took made me hug the lakes. So I'm getting pounded by lake effect sleet and snow that comes and goes like my experiences in the Alps at UTMB, right? Like weather changes every 20 minutes, just crazy weather changes. And I'd have sleet and snow and I would be in five layers up top, three layers down low, three pairs of socks. I could barely even fit in my hokas. My feet are swollen. I am relegated to only a walk and a shin splint walk, which is extremely slow. But I still had to do 30 miles every day. So what was usually a three to four, um, well, in I broke it up into two 15-mile segments, 15 miles in the morning, 15 at night. So what was typically three hours in the morning and three hours at night became six to seven hours in the morning and seven to eight hours at night. In the snow, in the sleet, in the wind, couldn't even see because the sleet's hitting me in the face and hitting me in the eyes just walking and it just felt like it would never end each mile took 20 minutes and or more and i would get in the rv shivering to death and trying to drink ramen and looking at a map i just remember one time looking out of the corner of my eye at a map that we had and where i was with respects to cleveland ohio and where Cleveland, Ohio was with respect to San Francisco, California, where I had to go. And the defeating mental and emotional headspace of that, it broke me, man. It broke me. And I almost quit. I, I couldn't understand how it was going to be possible, physically possible, for me to stay outdoors 14 to 15 hours a day in those weather conditions. It's not even pretty there. If it would have been happening in Colorado, cool, right? And it did happen in Colorado. Gnarly, gnarly snow up high. But it's Ohio. It was, it was the worst of everything. It was the worst weather, the worst things to look at, the worst physical pain. I didn't like the people. I, I hated the state. And that that was truly my most difficult moment. So let me ask this, and then, and then this will be what I want all of our listeners. We're even going to give it a term. When you're in the middle of your Ohio, Christian just indicated what his Ohio was. But this is your low, low, low point. So you're in the middle of your Ohio, or a listener is in the middle of his or her Ohio right now, and they feel the way you did when you said, how is this possible? What is that guidance you would give them? Because sooner or later, the Indiana state line does appear, and sooner or later, you make it to Chicago, and you keep going. Eventually, you're west of the Mississippi, and before you know it, you're on bended knee, asking your girlfriend, Lindsay, who is a tremendous help, to marry you. There is a terrific story ending. Again, go to the website, see it all. The video is there. We can't show it on a podcast. 
but you not only survived your Ohio, you're here to tell us about it. So how would you tell all of us then in our own Ohio as to how to get through it? There was an instructor on the selection who actually is, is still on SEAL Team 6 on CBS named Tyler. And when I was suffering on the show one time, I just heard him screaming, everything is temporary. Everything is temporary. And that has become, it has become my life motto when things get hard. Nothing lasts forever. Whatever you're suffering through, whatever you're dealing with, it's temporary. Another thing that they said on the show that uh, I've learned a lot from these special operations guys. They're amazing men, right? They have to be. They have to learn some of these things to cope with some of the things that they go through day in and day out. And, you know, another thing that was said to me was everybody wants to be at the top of the mountain, but nobody wants to run up. And that, to me, is sort of putting everything is temporary to work. You can't just sit there and love the fact that, oh, these difficult things in my life, they're very difficult right now, and they seem insurmountable, and they seem like I'm never get through them. But, oh, Christian says everything's temporary, so I'm cool. I'm just going to sit back here and wait for it to, to, to move on by. No. You still have to do the work. If you're suffering, whatever you're suffering through, you have to do the work. You have to own it. You have to be willing to talk about it. And you have to be willing to work on it. You have to be willing to run to the mountaintop if you want to be on the mountaintop. And I think that that is uh, that that's everything for me. That's that's everything for me. That is awesome. And ladies and gentlemen, he is Christian Griffith, driven to success. He'll be here in town on January 24th. We'll continue to share those details. Of course, you'll find them in the show notes. I'll leave all of you with this. Mr. Webster defines courageous as not deterred by danger or pain. Christian, it is truly a privilege to be able to spend this time with you, to call you a friend and someone who inspires me. And for sure, Sir, you are courageous. And D2, with that, we will be right back with this brief message and the conclusion to this amazing, heartfelt, and much to think about Run ATL podcast. Do your feet hurt? Feel any discomfort in your joints or lower back when you run? Your shoes might be the root of the problem. Whatever your fitness level, your feet should be comfortable and your shoes shouldn't be the cause of an injury or keep you from achieving your fitness goals. Come into any of our seven Big Peach Running Company locations for a free three-step fit process, including a video gait analysis. Our professional fitters will help get you into shoes that fit so you can enjoy running, walking, or any activity that requires you to be on your feet. Our 100% satisfaction guarantee will give you peace of mind if your new shoes don't live up to your expectations. Simply return them. No problems, no hassles, no time limit. We want to make sure you're completely happy with your shoes so you can achieve your fitness goals. Visit Big Peach Running Company today. And welcome back to the Run ATL Podcast. D2, all I can say is wow, that was so special and kudos 
to Christian Griffith for bringing that level of transparency and honesty and willingness to help others. My goodness, that was super cool. And for those of you who have just scratched the surface with him, there is more to be had again on Thursday, January 24th. He'll be in town from 7 to 10 p.m. at the Keller Williams Realty First Atlanta office. Our friend Sandy Geisel will open up her shop for all of us. That is located at 200 Glenridge Point Parkway Northeast. She's in suite number 100. The zip is 30342. Also, one more time to encourage you to visit runtoheal.hfc.org. Again, that's run, the number two, heal.hfc.org. Please go right away. D2, we also have some unfinished business to take care of before we sign off in this episode. You did your Yasso 800s. It was a genuine privilege to be out there with you, and I hope that was a boost to your confidence because get this, listeners, how amazing is it to introduce you to a 332 marathoner, perhaps. Did <laughs> that set the stage or just apply the pressure? That uh, that that definitely puts the pressure on. I mean, first of all, I mean, thank you for c- coming out there. Uh, I don't think I would have done it if you weren't out there. Um, it was oh, no. it was freezing. It was we did it and it was like I think 28 or 32 degrees. Uh, and, uh, but I did it. I, yeah. I mean, I felt good at the start. I was, I, you know, if, you know, whether I can actually do a 332, uh, it's not what I was actually training for. Cause I wasn't training necessarily to hit a specific time. I was going out there to just PR over last year and just do more training. And which I did, I did go back and kind of calculate and I, and I ended up, you know, running about 80 miles you know, more than I did previously. So about 20% more, uh, you know, training than I did the previous year. So I, I, you know, I would be happy with running anywhere from, you know, a 345 to a 350. If I feel good, if the stars align and I can actually run anything, you know, like an 805 pace, which is what a 332 marathon would, it would, would require. Um, we'll see. I just mentally, I just got to be in it and, you know, just, be ready to to push myself and uh and we'll see like i said it'll give me the confidence to know that i can i can i can push it if i'm if i feel like i'm running slow and and i can do more then this just gives me that little bit of push that says i got more well your biggest challenge perhaps will be in the early miles maybe even in the mid-race miles to not let that 805 pace or that 332 collection on average of the yasso 800s come to be too much for your mental game so please my friend do not go out too fast run your race regardless of what those Yasso 800 said it was a special morning for me as well for those who have not been to Cheney Stadium D2 and I were out there before the sun came up to be doing those laps at whatever pace with the skyline in the foreground and the cool breeze in our face it was very memorable of course a coffee afterwards in Grant Park was super cool D2 thank you for that special memory. And as you know, it will not be long. We'll be back together in just two weeks. Another episode of the Run ATL podcast. In the meantime, as we always say, as we certainly mean, may your best miles be those covered on foot.